So we're going to continue through John. We're still in chapter 7. I told you it was going to take us at least three weeks to get through chapter 7. Reminder that the, uh, the events that we're reading about here in chapter 7 uh, all happen around the Feast of Booths, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as Sukkot uh, in Hebrew. And what we discussed last week was Jesus' brothers mockingly uh, trying to get Jesus to go up to the feast and show himself to the world. Right? In a sense, what they were saying was, is you can't be famous if you hide like this. Uh, if you're so great, prove it to the world. You know, go on up to the feast and, and prove it to the world. And Jesus' reply to them in not so many words was, um, you go up to the feast. Uh, it's not time for me to go up to the feast yet, uh, for my time has not yet fully come. And without completely going over what we talked about last week, Jesus is saying that God's timing is an important expression of God's will. And it plays into today as well. God's will and his timing are perfect, and it's not about our timing or our desires or fulfilling our wishes or anything like that. It's about waiting on the Lord. And even Jesus waited on his father's timing, right? So it wasn't time for Jesus to go show himself to the world in the way that his brothers wanted, even though what they asked, they weren't even sincere in what they asked, right? Because they were mocking him. I don't even know if they actually cared if he went up to the feast or not. They were just mocking him. Right? And so Jesus replied, you know, you go up. It's not time for me to go up. However, that being said, after his brothers leave, Jesus waits, and then he goes up to the feast privately, it says. Right? So he kept to himself. He didn't reveal himself. He, and uh, he just went up on his own and kind of, I don't know, hid in the shadows. Right? You know, didn't, didn't hang out in the crowds. He pulled his hoodie up over his head, and so no one would recognize him or whatever he did. Uh, and that's where we're going to pick it up this morning. So we read through verse 10 last week. I'm going to back up to verse 10 just for context, and we're going to read through verse 36. So chapter 7, verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he, Jesus, also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him, Jesus, among the people. And while some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning? Literally, that means, how is it that he knows his letters? Like, they were surprised Jesus could read, right? When he has never studied. So Jesus answered them, saying, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a, whole man, a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Verse 25. 
Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him, and they said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And and Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where am I that you cannot come? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that uh, it's powerful. And it can change lives. And it can raise the dead. And it can do so many miraculous things through the power of your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you brought us to you that you led us to you so that we would have a choice to make on whether or not we accept the fact that your words are true, that your words are from God, that you are God. I thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done in our lives since then and how you continue to reveal yourself and grow us and draw us closer to you. And I pray you continue to do so and I pray you help us apply this to our lives, the message, the important message that's in here this morning for us. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of what we're going to be talking about this morning centers around one verse. That's verse 17. Verse 17 says, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. But before we get into that one verse, let's set the stage, right? So you understand contextually where we are. Jesus has gone up to the feast. No one knows he's there. Okay? Though they were looking for him. It tells us right off the bat, right? The Jews were looking for him. When it says Jews, that means religious leaders. That, that's the, you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, etc. So the Jews were looking for him. For, for good, there were people looking for him for good and bad reasons, as we can see from the people talking about him. And it tells us later in verse 14 that when Jesus goes into the temple to start teaching, mind you, at that point, it's the middle of the feast, which means Jesus had been there probably a few days and no one knew he was there. So he'd kept to himself really well. Right? So before Jesus started teaching, before they even knew he was there, There was already this debate happening among all the people, among the religious leaders, among everybody who was looking for Jesus because they expected him to be there, right, about the character of Jesus. That's what they're debating. And real simply, all they were debating was this. Jesus is either who he says he is or Jesus is a liar, 
right? That's the debate, really. If you just want to, you know, word it down to just a simple sentence or two, right? He is either who he says he is or he's a liar. He's either good or he's a deceiver. It said here that they're, they're accusing Jesus. Some people were accusing Jesus in verse 12 there. No, he's leading the people astray. That in the Greek means he's a deceiver. So they're saying he's a deceiver. He's leading people astray. Well, other people were like, no, he's a good man, right? So this is the debate. It's about the character of Jesus. And so first thing you see that is, of course, is that nothing's changed, right? 2,000 years later, this same debate's still going on. It's about the character of Jesus. The debates are the same. What is it that C.S. Lewis said back in 1942? He says, I'm, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And what was the foolish thing that people often say about Jesus? I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him to be God. So C.S. Lewis is saying, you know, I'm, I'm trying to prevent people from saying that. And so he goes on to say, listen, if you, if you think that he's just a great moral teacher and not God, then you're saying that he's just a man. And he says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or he would be the devil himself, right? He says, you must make a choice. Either Jesus is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. So this debate's been around, you know, since Jesus walked the earth. So the debate's nothing new. And not only that, the response from those who we see who were muttering, because it says that they were muttering about Jesus among the people, right? The response from the people concerning this debate and concerning the character of Jesus is nothing new as well. Because what it says is, verse 13, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Right? No one spoke openly of Jesus. You didn't have people running down the street going, hey, did you guys hear about Jesus and what he did? Right? They kept quiet. They kept it to themselves. They kind of muttered to themselves about what they had heard about Jesus. Maybe they had a close circle of friends they talked with, but they didn't just openly talk about it in the town square or over coffee or out, you know, anywhere because they didn't want to be overheard by the Jews, because the Jews, the religious leaders, again, we're talking about the high priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. If any of these people heard them talking about Jesus, there was, there was penalties. They might even excommunicate you in the sense that you weren't allowed to come into the temple anymore, or to the synagogue, or anything like that, because you were talking about Jesus. Right? And, and, you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the high priests, etc. These people didn't even have all the same theological views on things, right? Because, you know, the Pharisees weren't fair, you see, and the Sadducees were sad, you see. <laughs> but they were united on one front, and that was they were organizing and united in the fact that they were in opposition to Jesus and they wanted Jesus dead. So they didn't even agree on all theological matters themselves, but yet they were united in the fact that they didn't like Jesus. So, if, so, the, so the people feared the religious leaders, and because of that, they wouldn't speak openly about Jesus. And that hasn't changed either. It's still the same today, right? People are still afraid to speak openly about Jesus because they fear the backlash and the persecution from those who live in opposition to Jesus. Right? Especially when those who live in opposition to Jesus run our country and control the media and big tech and the culture, right? 
all of which seemingly are growing more and more immoral and evil and demonic daily. What is it that Jesus just said earlier in the chapter? We talked about it last week when he was talking to his brothers. He told them in verse 7, he said, the world cannot hate you. Why can't the world hate his brothers? The world cannot hate his brothers because his brothers were in the world. They were of the world. And if you're in the world and of the world, the world doesn't hate you. So the world and his brothers, as it told us, we went over last week, didn't believe in Jesus. Right? So he says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Right? So it's, it really should be no surprise to anyone that people are afraid to stand up and speak the truth concerning Jesus because the world hates Jesus. The world lives in opposition to Jesus. The works of the world right, stand in opposition to Jesus, to the word of God. Romans 1, verses 29 to 32 kind of gives you a picture of that when it describes the time. Matter of fact, this is the time we live in now. When it says that they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of enver, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Okay, that's the world. It's the world we live in. That's the world that stands in opposition to Jesus. So it's really to be no surprise that people are afraid to stand up and talk about Jesus and express their faith in Jesus when that's what the opposition is. Right? The world hates Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God. Because Jesus is God. And because His words and His works, which are the words of God, because Jesus is the Word of God, right? His works and His words testify to the world that their works are evil. And the world doesn't want to be reminded of that, right? And therefore, if you stand for Jesus, the world hates you as well, right? I mean, later on in John 15, and we'll go over that, but let me just give you, you know, a little snippet of it. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you were not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, Jesus says, therefore the world hates you. So aren't you excited? (laughs) Right? I mean, you should be. The world hates you. What does that mean? That means you're of Jesus. Right? But don't forget, there's this word of encouragement. It comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. He says in John 16, 33, for example, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That's tribulation with a lowercase t. Right? But take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, he says, I have said these things to you. To you. Well, what was it that he said? Well, if you back up a little bit in that chapter, back up to verse 27, he says, for the Father himself loves you because you love me and you believed that I came from God. So the encouragement is, listen, the world hates you, but God loves you. And why does God love you? Because you believed in Jesus. You took Jesus at his word. You believe that he's the son of God. You believe that he is God. And in that and in Christ, what do you find? Not tribulation, but peace. Amen? Amen. All right, well, we can go home now. Oh, wait, no, I'm not done. 
You're like, dang, man, I thought he was going to finish early. So the people are debating here about who Jesus is, right? This is this whole debate. And it goes on as you read through it, right? They say he's possessed. You have a demon, right? They're like, wait a minute. How can he be the Messiah? We don't know. Aren't we not supposed to know where the Messiah comes from? We know where Jesus comes from, right? Other people are like, well, I mean, if the Messiah comes, is he going to do greater things than what we've seen this man do? I mean, so there's this, this debate going on when Jesus starts teaching. They were debating before he got there, debating after he got there. I mean, it goes through this whole section that we read all the way down to verse 36. When it ends, when they were like, when he says that you will seek me and not find me and, and you cannot go to where I'm, I'm going to be, right? They're like, well, how can that be? Where can he go that we can't go to? Where can he hide that we can't find him? They didn't understand, of course, what Jesus was talking about, which is that he's going to his father. He's going to heaven. So the debate's continuing. They're thinking he's a lunatic. They're thinking that he's demon-possessed. The Pharisees are sending officers to arrest Jesus because they, of course, don't take him at his word. They don't believe his word is true. But yet, in the midst of all this, many people did. Verse 31, yet many of the people believed in him, and they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Many people believed in him, it says. They put their faith in Jesus. They, they listened to his words, and they said, this man is the Messiah. Many people are coming to faith. So you have to ask yourself. The question is, in the midst of all this turmoil, in the midst of all this debate, how did these people hear the words of Jesus and believe? What is it these people had or heard that everyone else didn't? How is it if the same words are said from Jesus... A group of people are like, you're crazy, you're demon-possessed, right? Today they'd be like, you're a Christian nationalist, right? You're a, you're a terrorist, whatever they want to call Christians today, right? But the other people are like, your words are true. I'm giving my life to you. What's, what's the difference? Well, let's go back to verse 17. I mean, how do you find the truth in the world that just speaks lies? How did these people know that Jesus was speaking the truth? Right? Well, let's get back to verse 17. As I said, this is the verse that we're really going to center in on. Verse 17 says, If anyone's will is to do God's will, then he will know whether the teaching, literally in the Greek that means doctrine, is from God, or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Speaking on my own authority means with my own words. So what Jesus is saying, let me just paraphrase it in case you don't understand what Jesus is saying. He says, if it is your will to do the will of God, then you will be able to discern whether or not the words I'm speaking are from God or I'm just pulling them out of my butt. Okay, maybe he didn't say that exactly. Right? I'm just making them up. If your will is to do the will of God, you will be able to discern whether or not the words I am giving you are truth or lies. Right? Jesus had just said previously in verse 16, my teaching is not mine, but he who sent me. So in other words, if you are to take Jesus' words as truth, then what you're saying is you believe that he is the son of God. 
that you believe he is God. But you can only do that if your will is to do God's will. Ultimately, what are we talking about? We're talking about having discernment. Everyone has some sort of a discernment. I mean, discernment, just from a dictionary definition, is the ability to judge well. Everybody here has a way that they judge things, and whether or not that's true, or whether or not they want to do that, or whether or not we should go buy that bag of chocolate, or get that, you know, whatever. We have this way that we do that we're discerning about things. Should we spend the money on this? Should we not spend the money on this, right? What is it that we're going to do? How are we going to do this? We all have discernment in, in, in a way that we do that, some way or another. But this is what it's talking about. It's talking about discernment. But it's not talking about a worldly discernment. It's not talking about some sort of you know, discernment that you have based on your own knowledge of things. It's talking about a discernment that you don't have on your own. That just on your own you know, knowledge, say your own college degree, your own you know, education, you know, experience, yeah. Everything, that's not the type of discernment it's talking about. Because based on those things, you do not have the discernment to be able to tell the truth from lies when it comes to the Word of God. We're talking about spiritual discernment. We're talking about a discernment that comes from who? Comes from God, comes from the Spirit of God. To discern or to have discernment spiritually just means to be able to distinguish or to separate out or to diligently search or to examine or to test. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What's the first thing you're doing here? Presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your what? It's your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what we're talking about. Right? Discernment's related to wisdom, but not your wisdom. Whose wisdom? God's wisdom. Right? It's a discerning mind demonstrates wisdom and insight that go beyond what is seen and heard because it's rooted in God's will. That's spiritual discernment. It's a discernment that's rooted in the will of God. And what is God's will? Right, the, the age-long question that people have been asking ever forever. Well, we don't even have to go out of the book of John because if you remember, if we go back just one chapter to John chapter 6 and we were talking about this, remember Jesus was speaking to the crowd and he was talking to them about doing the works of God. Don't you guys want to be doing the works of God? Don't you want to be doing God's will? And they're like, yes, absolutely. What are the works of God? So that we can do them. And he says, really simple to him, he says, this is the work of God. That what? That you believe in whom he sent. So we didn't even have to go out of the book of John. What is God's will? God's will is that you believe in Jesus. That's where it starts. Right there. If you don't believe in Jesus, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior, then you're not doing God's will. And if you're not doing God's will, if it's not your will to do God's will, guess what? You don't have. You don't have a spiritual discernment. 
See, they agree with me. Right? So, it's your will that you believe in the Son, that you believe in Jesus. Now, if it is your will to do God's will, then the Spirit of God gives you a spiritual discernment that's able to be able to tell true, tell the truth from lies. Right? And you understand at that moment, at the moment you decide that you want to do God's will, that you want to believe God, that you want to be obedient to God, at that moment you understand that God's word is true. Right? That it's living and active, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, right? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and, de- and what? Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God, this, he's given you to help you do what? Discern whether or not the actions you're doing give glory to God or they don't give glory to God. But if it's not your will to do God's will, you don't have this. You don't have the Spirit of God. Right? God's Word is spiritually discerned. In order for you to believe that this is true, it takes spiritual discernment. To discern this, it takes spiritual discernment. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because why? Because they are spiritually discerned. Why can't they discern it? Because they are not doing God's will. It is not their will to do God's will. And so they just look at it and they laugh. They think it's folly. They don't understand it. They think you're stupid for even believing in it. The human mind, without the Spirit of God, to the human mind, when we're looking at the things of God, without the Spirit of God, we look at those things and they just think they're foolishness. Right? You can't discern them. You don't understand them, not even a little. So according to what Jesus is saying here in verse 17 is, if it is your will to do God's will, then you will understand that God's word is true. Right? And you will understand that Jesus is who he says he is. And that the words that Jesus speaks comes from God. And that Jesus is God. Remember the question that Jesus asked of his disciples? You can find it in Matthew 16. You can find it in most of the Gospels, actually. But they're on their way to Caesarea Philippi, I think. It was in the new, actually, one of the new episodes of The Chosen, season four, that were in the theaters that we went and watched the other day. Um, but, he, but they're coming into the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asks his disciples, right, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they say, some say you're John the Baptist, some say, you know, Elijah, others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets, right? And he said to them, but who do you say I am? Right? So that's what the people are saying, but who do you say I am? And it was Simon Peter who replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Why? He said, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Peter, you could not have come up with that on your own. There is no way that you can understand that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, just based on your own knowledge. There's no way. The only reason you know that it's because my Father in heaven revealed it to you. And he did through his spirit and he gave you a discerning spirit to be able to see the truth. And you saw the truth. Right? This revelation, this declaration that came from Peter came from spiritual discernment. Right? Flesh and blood couldn't reveal it to him. 
When we're dealing with the things of God, guess what? Flesh and blood can't reveal them to you in a way that you understand. The world cannot reveal them to you. If you're trying to understand God's word by seeking it out in the world, you will never understand God's word because they don't have a clue. They don't understand, right? Takes the spirit of God. So in this one sentence here in verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking, you know, on my own authority or just with my own words, right? In that one sentence, Jesus is commending those who have true spiritual discernment and whose will it is to do God's will, who want to be obedient to God. And at the same time, he's condemning those who don't. In one sentence. You won't be asking me these questions. You won't be having this debate about my character and about who I am, as you're all having here, if you truly believed who I was, and you would truly believe who I was if you were actually doing the will of God. And at the same time, it's a challenge to them. It's a challenge to them. Because what is he saying? He's saying, listen, you want to know if this is true or not? Then there's only one thing you got to do. Decide to do God's will. If you change your will to do God's will, you will know whether the words I say are true or not. So that's all you got to do. But if you never do that, you'll never know. So are you willing to take the test? That's kind of what he's telling them. Are you willing to take the test? Are you willing to test me on this? There are those who have already done it and they believe. But are you willing to do it? And of course, they're calling them demon-possessed and they're you know, bringing people down to arrest him. It kind of answers the question whether or not they were willing to do it or not. They don't like being condemned in the sense by saying that they aren't doing the will of God. Hosea 14.9 says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors do what? They stumble in them. And that's what was happening. There were those in the crowd who accepted and believed in Jesus. There were those who were stumbling over his words. Why? Because they weren't doing the will of God. It's simple. It's a simple equation. So you might be wondering, why do I bring this all up? And I bring it all up because for the understanding, for us, so that we, that, we, that we can understand one thing, which is spiritual discernment is not a one-time thing, right? You weren't just given it when you believed in Jesus and that was it, right? The Holy Spirit spoke to you and dried to Jesus and you said, I believe. Jesus is who he says he is. I believe Jesus is God. I'm, gonna, I'm giving my life to Jesus. And they're like, okay. That was it. Okay, you're done. Okay, put your discernment up on the shelf. You don't need it anymore. Right? It didn't end there. It doesn't stop there. Spiritual discernment is not a one-time thing. You aren't just given this discernment to lead you to Christ and you're done with it. No, it's now been given to you so you can do what? Use it daily. And it's never been more important than it is today for you to use this. Seeking and growing in discernment should be a goal in your walk with the Lord. Spiritual discernment is important. 
In Philippians 1, verses 9 and 10, it says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. What's it about? It's about your sanctification. It's about becoming more holy. What do you need for that? You need discernment. Right? You need the Holy Spirit. Spirit leads you in the way of truth. You need to be listening to him and following him and letting him guide you. Without spiritual discernment, how can you tell right from wrong? I mean, in a world that's telling you wrong is right and right is wrong, right? In a world that's telling you up is down and down is up. Without spiritual discernment, how can you tell the difference? They might just be right. I mean, oh yeah, well, the whole world says it. All my friends say it. That guy was watching the news. Every one of the news channels said the exact same thing at the same time. It must be true. They're just reading from the same script, right? How can we tell what is evil and what is good? How can we tell a truth from a lie? Remember, there is a spirit of truth and there's a spirit of error. How do you know you're listening to the spirit of truth? We have to be able to discern between the two. How can we separate a false gospel from a true gospel? Right? A false teacher from a true servant of God. How can we understand God's will in our life without discernment? Can we do it by following our own emotions? Can we do it by, by, by doing our own will? Right? By seeking our own glory? No. We know this. Stupid questions. Why am I asking them? Right? No, you can't. Of course not. What do we need to be doing? We need to be seeking the glory of God. Our will needs to be to do the will of God. But here's the warning. If you aren't willing to do the will of God, and the only will that you're trying to do in a sense is your own, and the more we just continue to live out our own will instead of God's will, well, then the more stubborn we become, right? The more our hearts get hardened towards the thing of God. And the more we end up living in opposition to God's will. And let me tell you, a stubborn heart will not submit to God's will. That's a dangerous path, right? A lot of knowledge that the world offers that you might think is really wise is based on disobedience to God's word. I mean, it started with Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan said, hey, I can give you all this knowledge and this wisdom if you'll do what? If you'll disobey God. That's where it started. And it's still the same today. We have all this knowledge and all this wisdom for you, but it involves you having to disobey God. Well, how can you discern that? It tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. That's right now. 
right? The doctrine of demons, the teaching of demons, deceitful spirits, insincerity of liars, woo, all over the news, right? Matthew 24, 24 says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. What does that verse mean? Let me tell you what that verse means. It means that today, in the world that we live in, today, right now, this hour, if you are living your life without the Holy Spirit, if you're living your life without the Spirit of God, without any sort of spiritual discernment, without a biblical worldview, then guess what? You're deceived. That's what that means. Right? Not being deceived, or possibly will be deceived one day, but you are already deceived. But, as that verse says, but if you have the Spirit of God right, leading you, in the truth, guess what? You cannot be deceived. That's what that verse says. Right? That verse says, if possible, right, even the elect. Well, guess what? If the, the elect are doing God's will and have given their life to Jesus and are being obedient to God and have the Spirit of God leading them into truth, guess what? They cannot be led astray. They cannot be deceived. They cannot. This is why it's important. Right? This is why it's important. If you submit to the will of God, honestly and humbly, then you will know the truth. Right? And guess what? The truth will set you free. And you can testify to that. And you can share that. But what do we have? We have a bunch of people in Jerusalem who are fearful of speaking about Jesus. They can testify to it. If they believe in Jesus, they can testify to the truth. His word is true. I know it is. I can testify to the fact that his word is true. Guess what? I, I, I took his challenge. He said, if it was my will to do God's will, then I would be able to discern whether or not his words are true and whether or not he is from God and that he is God. And guess what? I took his challenge and, ooh, it's true. We can testify to it. But the world doesn't want you to testify to it. The world doesn't want you to give somebody else another option. When they own the option they want to give people is one that's without hope, or one that's in despair, or one that involves more taxes. Like we don't have enough. So don't be fearful to share God's word, regardless of the world's reaction to it, regardless of do these things. Commit to the truth. Commit to the will of God. Experience God's authority in your own life on a personal and an intimate level and obey his word faithfully in all areas of your life and you will see that his word is true. God says, I want your will to do my will. I want you to have discernment about these things because deceivers and lies and all this stuff are just abounding now. But you have to have that discernment in every area of your life. It's not just about spiritual matters in the sense of, oh, is that person a, a false teacher or is that a false word? But it's also, hey, do, are, are we doing God's will here in, in this 
Are we doing God's will in that? Are we giving glory to God by making that choice? Or do, I mean, it's every decision that you make, but we tend to only use discernment in more lofty matters, and we don't necessarily rely on his discernment in these smaller choices, but he says you need to use it in all things. You need to use it in all things. Because it's important. You need to use it in your marriage. You need to use it with your kids. You need to use it in the choices you're making for them and the choices that you're making for you. You need to have his discernment to make sure that you're doing his will and you're giving glory to God in the choices that you make. And everything that you do, you need it. Should we move? Should we sell the house? Should we, you know, do this? Should we do that? I mean, a lot of choices like that coming up for a lot of people. What do you need? You need... That you need to understand God's will about these things and you need to have the discernment to make the correct choices. Right? And it's done not as difficult as it seems because it's just aligning your will with God. That's all it's about. Then you have that discernment and you know that the choices you make can glorify God. So we need to make those choices. We need to be taught by God. We need to live a life for the glory of God and, we, and, and, and we not seek our own glory. Right? We need to make it your will to do God's will. Like I said, in all areas of your life. And with that, we also have to stand up and stand firm in God's word and speak Jesus and let the truth abide in you. More now than ever. You love your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you're going to share to him, share to them, share with them, if I can speak, right, the hope that you have that you want them to have if they don't know Jesus. Now, if it's not their will to do God's will, they're going to think you're crazy. But it doesn't mean that their will won't change because the Spirit of God works. The Spirit of God was working in you before you knew the Spirit of God was working in you. There was a spiritual discernment within you that drew you to Jesus before you even understood that there was anything of that matter. You couldn't have accepted God's word as true without it, without the work of the Spirit of God in your life. That same Spirit is working with unbelievers, drawing them to God, giving them the same options. That same Spirit was working at the crowd here who were debating about Jesus, right? Giving them the same options. Accept his word. It's truth. He's, you know, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. You've got to make a choice. Are you going to believe his word or are you not? Spirit of God's working in all of that. So we can't be afraid to stand up for the truth and abide in truth and share Jesus. If we love our neighbors, we should be care, care about how they're being treated. Not just by you, but by other people and by the government and by all kinds of things. If we love them, that's why we get involved in these things and speak out against what's going on. Hey, I care for your kids. What's going on in the school that they go to, right? What's going on in the work, that, in your job? Because I care for you. There's hope and it's found in Jesus. So stand up, stand firm and speak Jesus. Let the truth abide in you. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not fearful of the world. Because Jesus has overcome the world. And my peace is found in Jesus. It's not found in the world anyway. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So let's continue to stand firm in the gospel and submit our will to God's will. Amen?
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this message, and I pray, Lord, that you continue to work this out in our lives and that you continue for, to, to shape us and mold us, but also lead us in the way of truth, that we continue to open our eyes and our ears to your leading and cling to you, Lord. Lord, I pray for more and more of your spiritual discernment in the days that we live in now so we can continue to rightly divide what is true and what's not and stick to the truth of God's word. Let us use God's word to line up everything else that's coming into our lives. Not, don't conform ourselves to the way of the world, but transform ourselves through this word and through your spirit, Lord, so that we can truthfully discern what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, what is truth, what is lies, and stay true to your word. I pray, Lord, that we give our entire life to you, that we stay in obedience to you, that we continue to stand in the darkness and point people to Jesus, the only hope that anyone has. We thank you for this, Jesus. We thank you for this in your name, Jesus' name, amen.